as our brother, Pastor John, uh, shared, that we're going to be in a new series uh, in the book of Psalms. Every summer, actually, at our church, we go through a wisdom literature, whether it's Proverbs, or the Ecclesiastes, whether it's Psalm. Personally, I love going through the Psalms. This is sort of what we do as a church every summer, right? We, we are a church of habit and liturgy. You know, we, we went over Book of Acts, and we said we're going to do that for four years. We did part one, so next year part two is coming. And sort of liturgy is what we believe, and, and going through Book of Psalm has really shaped and has really challenged in a way that we, we are learning how to pray. These are prayers that have been prayed, prayers that were sung, that have been given to us. Um, C.S. Lewis, one of, you hear his name a lot through Pastor John and myself, once said, the most valuable thing about the Psalms for him, one of the most valuable things the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God, which made David dance. So reading through the book of Psalms should actually make us want to dance because these are not just literature or, or history. There are history Psalms, but these are actually lyrics. We have some artists here. Artists, raise your hand. You guys love music. And, and the book of Psalms shouldn't be read as like a book of history or book of facts uh, or you'll be really confused. The book of Psalms is, uh, is written, it's, it's a poetry it's this wonderful lyrics. Uh, our sister Amy talked about Justin Bieber. Well, this is sort of much higher quality lyrics than Justin Bieber. Um, but these 150 collection of psalms are actually songs that were sung as prayer for generations. It's not just us that have access to these books. For generations and generations, people have access to these prayer songs. And one of the most wonderful things the book of Psalms does for us today, it provides you and I with language to express emotions in prayer. Some of us, when we pray to God, we're like robots. We have our list. and No, prayer should be done with emotions because we're emotional beings. And the book of Psalms teaches us how to come to God in joy, how to come to God in sadness, in anger, in fear. So we've titled this series are songs in the valley. I titled it In the Valley not only because we're continuing to have our lives altered in this pandemic. I mean, level four tomorrow, are we ready? Last night, uh, our family went out and we're like, this is the last time we're gonna go out ever. All the kids are gonna be home and it's gonna, it's gonna be, yes, 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 Bethany agrees. Um, not only because of this pandemic, but also because many of the Psalms we, we approach, many of the Psalms that we love, Psalm 23, Psalm 1, were written during not happy times, but hard, difficult, painful seasons of life. Many of the Psalms, if you read them, they're actually utterly honest and candid about how they feel towards God. Right? The psalmist, in some of these Psalms, they challenge God with anger, with frustration, with questions. Yet what's amazing is God has allowed these honest, candid, sometimes theologically not so sound prayers to be given to us as scripture. So whether you are in a season of great success, because not all of us are, 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 are dying in this pandemic. Many of us are, as I've been talking to many of you guys. Whether you're in a season of great success or season of great darkness, the Psalms give us the language to pray and worship. So I, I hope as Pastor John and I preach through 
some of the Psalms this summer, it will give you language to pray, language to speak to God, language to express your emotions before God. So today, the first Psalm we're going to tackle this summer is Psalm 8. If you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, open to Psalm 8. We're going to just walk through this Psalm. It is a Psalm of thanksgiving and praise. And this particular Psalm, as, as Pastor John led us in, in the opening uh, reading of Scripture, the Psalm begins and ends with the same words of praise. How majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's actually read the psalm together. Psalm 8, let me read for us. Psalm 8, here we go. All right. I'm going to read the English Standard Version. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, I wonder what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you actually care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, that's repeat of verse 1, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is an, when, when a psalm, or when you see the scripture, the section begins and ends with the same exact words. It's a huge hint letting us know this is the main thing that the psalmist or the writer of scripture wants, to get, wants us to understand. And, and really, this is the primary theme, right? Verses 1 to verses 9 is the primary theme and it's the psalmist, his desire to declare, his or her desire to declare the majestic nature of God in all the earth. So everything in between verses 1 and 9, 2 to 8, speak about how God will reveal his majestic nature. Right? So he's saying God is majestic and he has revealed his majestic nature in all the earth. Well, let me tell you how he has done it. Verses 2 to 8. So three things I want us to sort of walk away with from this psalm. Three things I want to highlight from our text today. One, though we are small, God is greatly concerned for us. Two, though we are small, God's calling is glorious. And three, though we have failed, God has brought victory. One, God's concern, God's calling, and God's victory. God's concern, God's care, God's victory. So first, God's concern for us. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? Verse 4 asks the million-dollar question. Maybe this is what you're asking in your life. What is man? What, is, what am I that you are actually concerned for me? The psalmist says, look at the stars, the moon and the sun and the stars and the work of your hands. The world is a vastly 
a vast place. And the vast nature of the world, the cosmos, is unbelievably fascinating to even ponder about. Can you think about how big the cosmos is? I mean, we're sitting here in this large room, a place called Chamshi, and this is a pretty big room. But can you imagine how tiny this building is compared to all of Seoul? Can you imagine how small Seoul is compared to, 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 to all of Asia? Can you imagine how small Asia is compared to all of the world and, and, and so on and so on? That's what the psalmist is, is, is pondering. And he, and he, when he stands out there and looks at the scar, stars and looks at the moon, and he says, why should God care about tiny human beings in a tiny little planet? In fact, this has been argued by many modern-day philosophers, this idea about the insignificance of humanity in the cosmos. This is an actual topic. I mean, you guys like, don't, don't, don't fall asleep yet, right? But this is actually a topic. I, I was reading on this. I got really into it. See, many modern philosophers have argued that humans are not very significant when compared to the reality and the vast nature of cosmos. Right? That's, that's one of the main arguments. Right? We're not that significant. And one of, the, one of the arguments is we are actually just too small and our existence is just too brief to hold any objective value to the rest of cosmos. When you look at the world, when you look at the galaxies and galaxies and galaxies, we're not that significant because we're too small and we're too brief. And then there's a long argument about subjective significance versus objective significance, how to measure one's significance. Is it just time? Is it just size? It's a fascinating conversation. I mean, at least for me, it was fascinating. For you guys, are like, okay, I'm falling asleep. Um, well, Psalm 8 speaks directly into this matter, right? Are humans really significant in light of cosmos? And the psalmist emphatically says what? He says, yes, we are significant. Although we are small and tiny and seemingly insignificant, we are greatly significant. And our value the way we measure our value has nothing to do with how big or how old we have existed. Rather, it has everything to do with verse 4 and verse 6. That's his, his argument, right? What's his argument? In verse 4 to 6, the creator God, the God who created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and these amazing galaxy, galaxies, he deeply cares. Not just for the cosmos, not just for the world, not just for the city, but he deeply cares for the Son of Man. He is concerned for our well-being. So friends, although we are vastly small and you may feel weak and insignificant in sight of the cosmos, the, the, yet the very creator of all things, God who has put breath into our lungs, God who has put things into this world, he has chosen us. He could have chosen any other species. He could, have, he could have chosen any other creatures, yet he has chosen us. And he is deeply concerned for you and I. He is deeply invested in our lives. And Genesis 1, we talked about this last week, right? All other creatures in the, create, in, in the creation account are spoken into existence. It's only when he gets to Adam and Eve, the first humans, the scripture says very clearly that we have been made in the very image of God. We're the only creatures made in the image of God. I mean, let me just pause. Not just for dramatic effect, but let me just pause. And can you think about that? That you and I, everyone sitting in this room, 
the littlest baby. Des is, I think, the youngest baby in this room that Mike is holding. That even Des said, we're all made in the very image of God. That's wild to think that. So this means everyone you see in this room, even the people you cannot stand, your coworker that is always making you do extra work, your boss that is just ridiculous, they are made in the image of God. And that ought to challenge the way we approach all relationships, not just the ones that we care about and we love. So verse 5, the psalmist continues from that point. God deeply cares for, for little tiny humans. But God is not only concerned for us, verse 5, it says he has crowned us with glory and honor. Here's a second important truth. Our calling is glorious. Tell somebody next to you, your calling is glorious. Tell yourself, if you're sitting alone, we're soldiers this thing, your calling is glorious. So verse 5, what does it mean that humans have been crowned with glory and honor? Genesis 1, 27, 28. We were here last week. We're back here. This idea, God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 20, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is called what? We, we talked about this last week. This is called the cultural mandate. One of the first things after creating the world, God tells Adam and Eve, the first humans. And God says, as you are made in my image, you have now been invited to my work of cultivating and taking care of creation itself. And Genesis on, we are told, God has brought order from chaos. We talked about this last week, right? What is the creative order? It's really creating order out of chaos. So all human creative process, whether you're writing a song or writing a book or parenting or, or whatever creative process that we partake in is simply mirroring what God has done in Genesis 1. We talked about this last week, building a home, planting a garden. That was, that was Jeremiah 29. Developing a vaccine. We, we, we hope to get some vaccines in this country. Coding a program, painting a picture, all involve bringing structure and order from chaos. And, and, and this is what we have been invited to. Genesis 1, 27, 28. This is what we have been invited to. Join God in his work to steward the cosmos, to take care of, to cultivate the land and build homes and, and, and make this place better. And that's really the glory and the honor the psalmist is speaking of in verse 5. That glory and honor has been uniquely given to you and I. And the word in, for glory in verse 5, right? The, the word in glory in verse 5 is kabod. Everyone say kabod. Kabod literally means something heavy. Like even heavier than me. Like something really weighty. Of great strength and ability. This is an important theological concept. Theological word. Almost every time kabod occurs in Old Testament, it is in direct connection with God's action and things that speak of God, or thing, things that belong to God. Kavod is really about what belongs to God and what God does. 
So when the psalmist is declare, what the psalmist is declaring in verse 5, when he says he has crowned us with glory, with kabod, is that God has invited humans to join him in taking care of this earth, to join him in this unique work, the work that belongs to him. Right? That's, that's the unique calling of what it means to be human. Yet when we look back to the history of humanity and the current state of our world, we cannot deny that we humans have utterly failed in our call to take care of his creation. Our dominion has become domination. Our rule has become ruin. Subordination in the divine purpose has become subject to human sinfulness. You see, creation is suffering and has suffered under human dominion. And the call to take care of all has been twisted into a call to take care of ourselves and are just our own. And creation is hurting environmentally. I mean, talk about plastic, climate change, all the things that we're experiencing, air pollution, economically. The pandemic has shown that rich are becoming more rich and poor people are becoming more poor. Politically, countries are divided. Spiritually, under human dominion. I mean, if we're really honest, both in the church and outside of church, we live in a world where we assume we are entitled to as great a share of world's resources as our money can afford, that our money can buy. We can purchase as much land, as much space, as many minerals, as much meat, fish, as we can afford, regardless of who may be depraved. Right? If we pay for them, as long as we can pay for them, or even we, we use credit cards now, every, as long as we can borrow money and use it, we can pretty much own anything we want. That's sort of the, 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 the principle that we live by. We could burn as much fuel as you like. Every dollar secures a certain right over the world's natural wealth. Yet, we've lived that way. It has sort of, sort of been the culture that we have swum in. And no one can deny the devastating impact that human greed has caused in the world. No one can sit here and say, we are innocent of taking resources and taking things and, 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 and taking more for ourselves. The endless killings, the violent wars, global warming, climate change, disparity between haves and have-nots. We talked about this, the growing gap. So how do we reconcile this disparity that we see in God's vision for humanity in Psalm 8 and the reality of the world that we live in? Where can we find comfort and hope? I mean, even your own lives, when you think about your life, when you think about your week, you could think about the disagreements, you could think about the, the, the arguments you've had or, or different things that you've experienced this week, and how can we read Scripture this morning, Psalm 8, and say, oh, that, what a wonderful vision for humanity. Yet what we see is a lot of chaos, a lot of disorientedness, a lot of brokenness in our own lives. This leads us to third final point. Though we have failed, God has brought victory. Look with me in verse 2, Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength to quiet the enemy and the avenger. 
So what, what, what the psalmist in chapter 8, verse 2 is saying is God will choose lowly babies, small infants, and through their praise, God is somehow going to defeat the evil enemy. Right? God will choose the lowly, the meek, the seemingly insignificant to overcome evil. And actually, if you read through Psalm 8, that's the repeated idea throughout Psalm 8, right? God choosing lowly, weak, tiny little humans and crowning them with glory to rule and take care of His creation. Tiny little humans to take care of the vast creation. Babies to silence His enemies. So what is verse 2 really referring to? What is verse 2 really pointing to? See, we don't understand verse 2 until we get to Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final time on that Palm Sunday morning, right? Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final time knowing what's ahead, fulfilling Scripture, Zechariah 9.9. Prophet Zechariah speaks of this coming of Messiah riding on a donkey, expressing peace, that he's going to somehow be victorious over his enemies through peace, not through violence. And that's the scene in Matthew 21. Jesus enters Jerusalem not on a war horse to declare war against the Roman government, rather a donkey which symbolizes humility, peace, and meekness. In the same chapter, Matthew 21, 15, 16, Jesus is now, has entered Jerusalem for the final time. He is in the temple. Children of the city in the temple cry out to Jesus saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Seeing Jesus, they're worshiping out of mouth of babes. They're worshiping Jesus. And the religious leaders, the high priests and, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, they become furious about what these babies are declaring. So they go to Jesus and confront him. And Jesus, how can you stand there and listen to this nonsense? In verse 16, Jesus looks at these men who are indignant and responds to their complaints saying, turn to Matthew 21, verse 16. He says, have you never read? I mean, you call yourself the high priest. You're supposed to be learned in religious men, but have you ever read, read what? Have you ever read scripture? Have you ever read Psalm Eight, verse 2. Jesus is quoting Psalm 8, verse 2 in Matthew 21, saying, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. You see what Jesus is saying is, if you teachers of the law can see what these babies can see, if you can understand what these little infants can understand and how my kingdom is like, you would have also sang, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. When we read through the gospel of Matthew, from the very beginning, Jesus spoke emphatically about a arrival of new kingdom with new principles, new values. Right? And what the primary guiding principle of this kingdom that Jesus spoke about, preached about in Matthew 5 and 6, is what? If you want to be first, get back in the line. If you desire to be top, you must go lower. In God's economy, in this kingdom that is upside down, God is not looking for the most powerful, most connected, most wealthy person to do his work. No. I have news for us. God is not looking for the most talented, most famous, most powerful, most gifted people to do his work. That's what we think. That's what we want. No, God is looking for people who are meek, 
who are humble, who are wholly dependent on him. Listen to Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 31. Apostle Paul looks at the the, the teachers and, and his co-workers, co-laborers in the kingdom, and out of frustration, he says, verse 26, for consider your calling. Brothers, not many of your wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble birth. But God chose you who are foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring, nothing, things that are, so that no human, so that no human being, none of us, can boast in his presence. Friends, do you want to be used by God? I mean, I want to be used by God. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to experience His true power and glory in your own life? Then embrace your weakness. Acknowledge your limitation. And know that you will not always be popular. You will not always be well-liked by society or people that are around you. And allow your weaknesses, whatever that may be, your fears, your inabilities, to bring you to your knees so that God will raise you up. And friends, we have to look to Jesus, who is the perfect image of God. Apostle Paul, in another letter, Colossians chapter 1, 15 says, Jesus is the image of invisible God. Yes, we are made in the image of God, but we have sinned and fallen from the image of God. And Jesus shows up, and Jesus is the image of God. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he's before all things. In him, all things hold together. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that Jesus is holding your life together? Friends, it's only in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, our lives are held together. You may not see it. You may not believe it. But this is the truth. Everything you have, your resources, your house, your job, your friends, your family, your children, you have them because God has given them to you. God has entrusted those things under your care. The fact that you are alive, we are alive, in the middle of this pandemic, uh, Brother Daniel joked that we have risked our lives to be here. You know, sort of, we are alive. So many people have passed away in the season. The fact that we are alive and we're able to come here, raise our hands and sing these songs in the middle of a pandemic, we can only do these things because God is holding our lives together. You've heard our sister Emily's testimony right before I came up. God has held her life together for the last five years. And some of you know, some of you know very well, as I'm sharing, you are only here because God has kept you alive. And and the wonderful news is that he is going to continue to hold your life together. Friends, he's holding your marriage together no matter how difficult your marriage may get. He's holding your child or your future child together no matter how difficult parenting may seem. Your careers, your relationships, your health, 
He's not going to let you go. You may lose those, some of those things, but he's not going to let you go. And that's the most important truth. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus, the true image of God, came to undo the destructive work of our sins. And there is forgiveness in him and only through him. Jesus lived a life that we could not live and he died the death that we should have died. And it's only through his perfect sinless life and his sacrificial death, you and I have life. You and I can taste life. And it's only by fixing our eyes on Jesus we find courage that we need to continue to follow Jesus in his footsteps. And, and only then we can begin to truly give away our lives so that through our sacrifice and service, others can experience life also. That's Psalm 8. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 8. What a rich lyrics, love song to you, Lord. What a important reminder to know that, God, you deeply care. Lord, we, we question sometimes whether you care. As we're in the middle of this pandemic and, and, and life is hard, Lord, we question, Lord, do you even care? And Lord, you made it very clear in Psalm 8, you care that we are significant. What a wonderful reminder of what we've been called to, that we're not just here so that we can make money and build homes and retire by the beach and enjoy life. No, you have been called us uniquely and crowned us with your glory, with your kabod, to really love this planet, to love this city, not just spiritually, but, but holistically, Lord. Every decision we, we make, whether, whether to use a plastic cup versus our, our own cups, I mean, these are all important decisions to you, Lord, because you deeply care about this earth. And yet, Lord, there, there's great hope knowing even our greatest righteousness is nothing, does not, cannot, cannot undo the nasty consequences of our own sins. And Jesus, you came and you lived a life that we could not live. You died the death that we deserve. So we run to you this morning uh, with our shame, with our fears. We run to you with our emotions. And we declare with the psalmist how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. In the valley, on the mountaintop, we worship you, Jesus. Be magnified. Just say we pray. Amen.